Praise is what we do. But do we understand why we are doing it? Do we understand it? See, one of the things about church life is simply this. Can we follow the knowledge that we've been taught? Because teaching takes us beyond just knowledge. Teaching takes us beyond just knowledge. Timothy says you're ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You're always pulling in information. You're always taking in information. But truth doesn't become verifiable to you until you act on it. Only after you act on it does it really become truthful to you. Only when you perform it do you see God act on your behalf. It does not negate God's truth because you don't act on it. It just means at some later point you will be judged by it. We all will be judged by his word. But as I live out his word, it profits me. It benefits me. It's a blessing to me. It's a healing to me. But knowledge takes me someplace. Knowledge takes me someplace. God isn't giving us knowledge just to store up knowledge. Knowledge does not lead to doing. You you can see that very evident for yourself. People have knowledge about God. People have knowledge of the Ten Commandments. People have knowledge of Scripture. The question is, are they doing it? Are they living it? Are they performing it? And if they're not performing it, they're not living it, what they're saying is that God's Word really doesn't have any meaning, doesn't have any depth, and I've got to do the best I can do here. It's like taking a math book that you're going to learn algebra from and you're going to throw it off to the side, but then eventually a test comes up in algebra. But since you haven't studied the book, since you haven't went through the examples in the book, since you don't know the process that it takes in the book, you just get on your sheet and throw anything down and expect to get an A. And a lot of young people, just because they write something on their sheet, expect to get something other than an F. Just because they put something on the sheet. And that's what we do with our life. Just because I do what I think is good, and all my goodness is as filthy rags, my goodness will not stand up to God. The only thing that's going to stand before God is his own goodness that I'm following through with. But I've taken his Bible and I put it over here and I'm living out the test in life and I wonder why am I failing so badly? Why is life so bad? Why is life such a struggle? Why is life? Because I'm not willing to live it according to the rules. And I'm not living in a way that allows me to get to know him as a personal counselor, as a personal guide. Knowledge doesn't lead me to action. Understand that. You can have all kind of knowledge, but knowledge will not cause you to do anything. People can have knowledge of his grace, but never experience his grace. They have knowledge of it. But they never experience God's favor in their life. Secondly, they can know that God is a God that heals. But they never experience his healing power. 
They never witness it. They never see it. Now, if you get Roscoe to talking about his daughter, he'll tell you God has already healed her. Not only is he reading it and believing it, but he's also what? Experiencing it. And then it talks about God being all-powerful. But we never experience his power. His power. The other day when I stepped into Mary's room, once she recognized me, she, she just said, Pastor, pray. Just started welling up a little bit. Tear. I had a rough night and it's still not easy. It's, it's rough right now. Pray. But she had the knowledge of knowing what prayer could do and knowing who God is We had not because we what? Asked not and putting that into action. Putting that into action. And the first thing she said, pray. Pray for me. Pray. And we prayed right then. And after I was done praying, a few words and left because she really was having a rough time. So keep her in prayer. But at the same time now, she's going to experience God's power, whether in the healing effect or in the power of bringing her from there up, total healing. She's going to experience God's power one way or another. She's going to experience that. We can experience God's knowledge. Because he'll give us knowledge. He'll give us insight. He'll give us discernment. He'll give us more if we'll listen to him. But understand this. Without this, we receive nothing. Because knowledge is taking us somewhere. It is the learning of God's written will that allows you and I to discover his will for our lives. It's in his written will that we discover his will for our personal lives. That as he speaks to us through his word, and he makes his word become very personal, when's the last time you read scripture And you broke down crying. When's the last time you read it? And the Holy Spirit gave you understanding. And all you could do was weep. And cry because you are understanding. His love for you. When's the last time you was reading his word? And you just said, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You couldn't sit there. You had to get up and move. When's the last time you read his word? But you couldn't wait to tell somebody else what you read. That you found something in here that excites you, that motivates you, and and you want to share it with somebody else. See, the excitement of the word leads us into more of a deeper personal relationship with him. The learning of God's written will, boy, it allows you and I to experience him and to understand his will for our lives. Now understand this. If you are learning the word of God and you allow yourself to become a student of that word, At some point, you're going to experience the living word. I can't tell you when. Because some of us will read today and may not read again for two months. Some of us will pick it up for a minute and read a scripture. But to labor with it. 
to allow that scripture to turn over and over and over and over in your mind. And somehow all day long, that scripture is with you. You're repeating that scripture over and over and over and over again. You're discovering the depths of that scripture. You're asking for more understanding, more meaning of that scripture. You're looking for more. Why? God's word is not a dead letter. God's word is not a dead letter. It's not a dead book. It's a living testimony of God. It is the living word of God that is very active in our lives. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Once you see how he describes God's word here, Because that word somehow grabs hold of your heart. That word somehow grabs hold of your mind if you allow it. Don't worry. If you read the Bible and you just want to read it as a history book, God's not going to force you to read it as a love letter from him to you, from his heart to your heart. He'll allow you to read it as a history book. If you want to read it as a poetic book, you can do that. If you want to read it as a book of wisdom, you can do that. If you want to read it as a book of knowledge, you can do that. But if you want to read it as a love letter from him to you, he'll speak to you. When I was in foreign country when I was in Vietnam and Elaine would write a letter I had that letter all week long just reading it over and over and over again it was exciting to open up her mail and she told me at times why she was at work at Barberton Citizen Hospital during her break she would write the letters or during her lunch time she would write the letters but I would have that letter all week long just reading it God's word is like that. When you fall in love with him, you want to read it over and over and over again. And every time you read it, you're going to pick up something else different that says very loudly, I care about you. I love you. This is how I want you to walk. This is how I want you to live. So in Hebrews 4.12, he puts it this way. The word of God is living. No, 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 no. It's just a word. It's not living. If we go back to St. John chapter 1, it says the word is Jesus Christ. He's alive. And here he says the word is living. It's not dead. And when something is living, it has the ability to affect your life. Now you can ignore people. And people sometimes will irritate you and you can ignore them. But the thing is, they still affect you. (laughs) Whether you want to accept it or not, the word of God is going to affect you. And He says, it's a living word. For the word of God is living and active. It's active. It's performing. It's doing. And God says, I'll send my word out and it will not return to me void. It's going to accomplish what I so desire for it to accomplish in your life. In that word, in simply this fashion, either that word will build you up or that word will condemn you. Either the word will save you or the word is what's going to judge you and off to hell you go. 
He says the word of God is alive and it's active. And he says, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts. It cuts. But it also heals. It cuts and is able to heal. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints, marrow. It judges the thoughts, the attitudes of the heart. No, no, it, it can't do all that. When you hide the word in here, the psalmist says, it is the word that has kept him from sinning against God. But the moment a wrong thought enters the mind, the word will jump up. Now you have a decision to make. Do I go this way or this way? Do I follow the Lord or do I follow the world? Because it's a judge even of your thoughts. And as a man thinketh, so is he. As a person thinketh, that's how they live. That's what they do. And he says he's a judge even of our thoughts before we even put it into what? Action. He gives us that opportunity now to change that thought if it's wrong and out of his will. And the only thing that can do that is something that is alive. Something that's interacting with you. Something that's challenging your attitude, your thought, your mind. We are sitting down at breakfast at McDonald's. And the one gentleman said one thing and I responded to him. He got the first syllable out and then he stopped. Because he knew it was the wrong word to say. But that's how quickly the word of God can stop us. He'll stop us in our tracks, as he says. And he'll keep us from doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. And that's because he loves us. He loves us. And sometimes to understand God loves me is a difficult thing to figure out. That can be a difficult thing to figure out. Why somebody loves me? Because we really know what? Who we really are. (laughs) And sometimes we can't stand who? Ourselves. And yet he loves me. And he says his word is a living word. And it's active. And it discerns my thoughts, the things that I do. It judges me right now. It tells me right or wrong right now. And it gives me the opportunity to make the correction because I know his word. Now, the understanding of biblical teaching is to understand this. It's the foundation to the living Christian life. If you're going to live a Christian life, you really got to have a good foundation of the Word of God. If not, you're doing your thing, calling yourself a Christian, and everything about your life says... You're not a Christian. Or you're not following Jesus. You're not following Jesus. I'm not the one to say if you're a Christian or not a Christian. But I can say this. If you're following Jesus, you're going to be living out his word. If you're following him. Now, you might be saved, but you're not walking with him. You may be saved, but you're not listening to him. You may be saved, but you're not involved with him. And what God wants is a relationship. (coughs) Involvement. Involvement. Teaching of the scripture is the basis for developing. Now, catch this. It is the basis for developing beyond just mere 
knowledge. Teaching of the scripture is the basis for developing beyond just mere knowledge. The knowledge takes you into an experience. The knowledge takes you into a relationship. Now the church doesn't like the word experience oftentimes because we use the word experience sometimes in a very negative light. We see it in a negative light. But you cannot have a relationship with a person unless you are also experiencing that person. You have to be in that relationship that allows you to experience him. And the scriptures is what develops the relationship. It is the basis by which you develop yourself that takes you beyond mere knowledge of just quoting something. But that you will know that you will know that you will know that he will act. Paul says, boy, I know the one in whom I believe. I know what I've committed to. Now, why commit something to somebody who's not going to function, who doesn't act, who doesn't do? And Paul says, I've committed this unto him. What have you committed to the Lord lately? And see him bring to pass. It develops godly wisdom. As you get into Scripture, you're going to gain knowledge. But how to use knowledge correctly, you won't know without the wisdom of God. God's wisdom gives you the ability and the capability to use his knowledge correctly. Not just to quote it. Not just to jump on somebody else. But how to live it out correctly in a manner that will praise him and honor him. It makes you more aware. When you're in scripture, it makes you more aware of his presence. It teaches you how to be aware of even your surroundings, if those surroundings are good or bad. It makes you more sensitive towards people. Because you understand how sensitive he's been towards you. It develops a deeper relationship and the teaching of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If I show no interest, the Holy Spirit is not going to try to knock my door down. But if I show interest, he desires to teach me. He really does. And that becomes the difference between the nominal Christian and the Christian. That becomes the difference between just a religious person and a person who's educating themselves in the scriptures of God, lying those scriptures now to build a relationship that leads to the experience of the living God. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. 16 through 19. Here you're going to pick up a little bit of awareness, sensitivity, where Paul says what he's doing. And the wisdom to do it. He says in 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Paul is sensitive towards a group of people now. He's aware of their needs. He's more in prayer for them. But he's talking to them because he also understands they don't fully understand. But he does. So he's in prayer for them. 
But he wants them to grow. He wants them to experience a deeper life in Jesus Christ. And he goes on, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. Now, first of all, when he starts off in Ephesians, he calls them saints. He calls them believers. So they have the Spirit. But now, to experience more of the Spirit in their life. You cannot be saved. Understand this basic truth. You cannot be saved without the Spirit of God. But you will not grow without yielding to the Spirit of God. You will not grow without listening to the Spirit of God. You will not grow outside of the Word of God. It just doesn't happen. It just don't fall down from heaven and boom, you got it. That's what makes this book very relevant and alive for us. It is the living bread that cometh from heaven. And he says that may give you the spirit, now listen to this, the spirit of wisdom Now, not manly wisdom, but godly wisdom. And God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he doesn't deny the wisdom of man. But he says the wisdom of man is only foolishness compared to his wisdom. So he's not saying man don't have wisdom. But your wisdom is limited. My wisdom is limited. And what we want is God's wisdom. And he says, the spirit of wisdom and revelations. Wait a minute, God, now you've given me your word. That's all the revelation I should need. No. What is the revelation of God's plan for your life? How is that revealed? How is that shown? How is that seen? God's plan for your life has to be revealed to you. Step by step. Every season of life, God may use you in a different way. But it's something God then has to reveal to you. And he says, yes, a revelation. First, the understanding of his word. And as you gather understanding of his word, you gather understanding for the plan that he has for your life. You gather that. You begin to see it develop based on how God then reveals it and shows it. And he says, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him, what? Better. That you may know him better. You may trust him more. You may follow him closer. You may give him more of yourself. Because you know more about him. You trust people based on the fact of what you know about them. But then you begin to experience them in what we call friendships. We begin to experience them in what we call friendships. We begin to learn their honesty. We begin to see their integrity. We begin to see if they're really a godly woman or a godly man as we watch their walk. You begin to hear it in their talk. Because something's being revealed to them. 
and they know him better. And as they know him better, the relationship changes. The relationship changes. The better you get to know a person, the relationship changes. It becomes deeper, more meaningful. And he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be what? Enlightened. That you might see more than what you were seeing before. That he's really opened your eyes to him. That you can really see him. Sometimes we say that about people. I really see you now. (laughs) By the things that they do. That you would never thought that they would have done or that they live this way or do that. And you say to yourself, I really see them now. I really know what kind of person they are now. (laughs) And And he says, boy, he wants to open your eyes more to him. He wants to enlighten you more about himself. He wants you to see him more than what you just think about him. He wants you to see him and see him very clearly. And he says, boy, that they may enlighten. He may open the eyes of their hearts and may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what? The reason for which he's called you. The reason for which he chose you. The reason which you are saved. He says, boy, I don't want you in the darkness on this. I want you to understand that we're in a relationship. Now, the thing about a relationship with God, Elaine and I, and any of you who are married, any of you got kids, you're constantly learning what? The relationship. As kids grow, they change. So you're developing constantly this new relationship as they go through their changes of life. In marriage, things change. And you're growing in that change of that person, both of you. But with God, understand this. He knows all about you. But you know very little about him. And he understands for a good relationship, he has to reveal himself to you. That you might know him. Because how we respond to him is based on how we know him. But just knowing him will not lead us to action. And he says that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength that he's working in us he's demonstrating his power in us how by the changes he makes in our lives when God gives you the power to overdo to do something right And you're fearful of doing that. He gives you the strength and power to do it and trust him. That comes from God. That doesn't come from the flesh. That comes from God. That doesn't just come from up here. That comes from God. And the relationship that you've been with God, knowing this, he means good to me. And he will not withhold any good thing from me. That's part of that relationship part. God's not going to hold any good thing from you. 
He wants to bless you. I was asking a question and, and trying to answer it myself, and I asked it to some other people. Why is it that people think doing wrong is a blessing from God? Doing wrong is a blessing from God. And we're going to have to talk about that. So sometime, boy, I was reading this guy's book, and he explained how he was going to the grocery store because he was hungry, and he packed up all these groceries in the bag, and he got uh, his meat and stuff in the little thing like they wrap up, and he got a loaf of bread, but while he was traveling through the store, he made two sandwiches and ate them, and then all of a sudden he picked up his phone while he was in line, knowing he wasn't going to pay for it, picked up his phone, all of a sudden he got an emergency call, and he got to run out the store and leave his basket. But he didn't eat two sandwiches. And he said, God bless me. In my mind, I put it alongside the book. Isn't this stealing? But we call it a blessing. So you, you're in the store down here, one of the gas stations, somebody hit for 500 or 1,000, they get their holy dance on, and God has blessed them. If you would have trusted God, he would have did the same thing for you. And you wouldn't have had not to pay the gas bill or electrical bill to pay to play those numbers or whatever you're playing down there. And we call some of the things that are evil blessings. All because we live in such a day that we talk about wrong being right and right being what? Being evil. Go over to chapter 3. Go to verses 14 through 19. Same book, Ephesians. Pick up verse 14. Listen again to sensitivity. Listen again to the wisdom. Paul says again, For this reason I kneel. For this reason I'm praying. I'm praying for you. That's the sensitivity. That's the wisdom. That's in a relationship, knowing that God is able. Before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you. What, what is Paul praying for? That these people would be strengthened. They're saved, but they need strength. You know something? A wimp can't be a Christian. A coward cannot be a Christian. It takes a strong man to walk with God. It takes a strong woman to walk with God. Why? If you are dead to yourself, you have turned yourself over into the hands of God and it takes some type of person to be able to surrender themselves into somebody else's hands and that they will take care of that you commit yourself to that God and he's going to take care of you that's something to do and a coward can't do that A weak person can't do that. It takes somebody with strength who understands there's somebody stronger than me who can do this. And he says, For whom this whole family of heaven and on earth derives this name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Catch that. How is he going to dwell there? By faith. Romans 10 says what? Faith cometh by what? 
If you're not hearing the word, your faith is not being developed. If you're not in the word, your faith is not growing. If you're not under the word, your faith has no power. And he says, in your heart, through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, keep that word love in mind, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. We can't even begin to imagine that. So he gives us something so large that there's no ends to it for us. And to know his love. Again, to know his what? His love. Not about his knowledge, but his love. That surpasses knowledge. Love does what? Love surpasses knowledge. Knowledge takes us into a loving relationship. And it is the love that activates then the doing. Follow me in thought. It's not your knowledge that activates your doing. A lot of people know to do good. That's why scripture says, if you know it to do good and do it to not, it's what? It's sin because just knowledge by itself will not prompt you to action. It's love that moves you to a point of action based now on the knowledge. But it's love that moves you, not knowledge. Not knowledge. But it's love that causes you to live the way you live. It's love that causes you to say no. It's love that causes you to respond in a more positive way. It's love, not the knowledge. But love. And he brings that out very clearly. It is the love that is taking place and is not the knowledge. And he tells us that love then surpasses knowledge. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's love that overflows. Not the knowledge. It's the love. And it's the love that demands that you want to know more. It's the love then that seeks more in the relationship. It's the love that one takes you to a deeper understanding in the relationship. Now, Paul wants them to go beyond knowledge. And that's why Paul says love surpasses knowledge. But it takes knowledge to get you to the place to understand what God has done for you that now you act out of love. Not out of the knowledge, but out of love. And Paul wanted them to go beyond knowledge. He wanted them to experience a love relationship by understanding what God had done for them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 2. He says, We have not received the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit whom is from God. That we may understand what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, living in us, to give us understanding. Understanding of what? God's Word. To give us understanding. Now, let me ask this question. Not so much a trick question. It could be. Does the Bible tell you about everything in life? Does it direct everything for you in life? See, that educated (laughs) Bible student went to college and think he's university and think he got some knowledge now. (laughs) But he's right, it doesn't. Now, question. Does the Holy Spirit know that? Yes. The Holy Spirit knows the very detail of things that God wants from your life. That's why the Holy Spirit gives the wisdom, the knowledge, the revelation. He's working in your life. Because could you imagine what size book you would have to carry around that would give you all the details? You wouldn't be able to carry it. You'd have to have a U-Haul behind you all day long. And the whole thing is that it's the Spirit of God that does it. And, And he says that he gives the Spirit that you may have understanding what God has freely given you. What God has freely given you. And he says, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom. Boy, it can't be taught by man. I'm limited on what I can teach you. I'm limited on what I can reveal to you. But as you sit there and as you look at God's word and you allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate your mind, not my words, but his words, you allow him to interact with you, then he begins to show you something more than what you could have ever expected. This is what we speak, not in words taught by the human wisdom, but in words taught by who? The Spirit, who will speak to you, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And that's why a lot of Christians look foolish. That when you obey what the Scripture says, you look foolish. To the world, you look dumb because they don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. Faith, some years and years and years ago, because she ain't got a little older now, but when she was at high school, at Firestone High School, she found a bag of money. Some of the advice from the kids, keep that money and keep on walking. But it was from Chin's restaurant. The son was supposed to have deposited in the bank and lost it at Firestone High School and Faith found it. Elaine was at high school now and she runs her mom and dad's business, but she still remembers Faith turning the money in and them getting their money. Didn't have to do it with that little thing. Finders, keepers, weepers, losers. (laughs) Could have said that and walked on. But just knowing it was not hers did the right thing because somebody else was depending on that amount of money. Somebody would have found that bag of money and said, thank you, Lord, I'm blessed. Thank you for your goodness to me today. Hallelujah. But it would have been the wrong thing. 
And today when we go eat at Chin's, Elaine comes out, talks to us, spend time, and sometimes gives us a discount. And every now and then, she'll throw me a free meal. Now, all because of that act of kindness that they did. And it developed a relationship. We've been able to talk about the Lord and this and the God over in China and the things that they believe. And I've been able to share with her about Christ, continues to do that when opportunity allows. I don't force it. But it built on something. He says, it's foolishness. It was foolish, or was it foolish, to turn that money in? It was a wise thing to do. And he says in 15, the spiritual man makes judgment about all things. And that's where the spirit comes in. The Bible will not give you information about all things. But the spirit of God will. The Spirit of God will. And it takes you into a deeper relationship with the Lord. Now let's go to John 3.16 for a moment. I want to show you the love different from the knowledge. You can have knowledge and always know John 3.16. And somebody going to be saying, well, what does John 3.16 have to do with knowledge? I want you to look at the first part of John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved. Now, I want you to just think with me for a moment. God so loved. He didn't say, well, God had knowledge of our sin. And no doubt he did. But it was not knowledge that prompted him to action. He knew about us. He knew our sin. He knew that we couldn't help ourselves. He knew we couldn't move ourselves out of the mire clay. He knew we could not have victory over our sin without him. There was knowledge that God had, but the knowledge is not what prompted him to act. What moved him to action is exactly what the word says. God loved me and you. And because of that love that we can't understand, it caused him to take action on our behalf. Not the knowledge of our sin. Not the knowledge of our fallen state. Not the knowledge we're on our way to hell. Not the knowledge we can't live this Christian life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What prompted him to action? Was love. Not knowledge. Love. Go over to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 8. But God demonstrated his love. God demonstrated his love. God didn't demonstrate his knowledge that he had about us. And he could have shown all the knowledge, all that we were involved in, all of our sin. But it was not the knowledge that prompted him to take action. The word demonstrate there even, it it has the, the word of an action to show, to present, to introduce to you. He wasn't worried about trying to show us more knowledge. Why? Knowledge was not going to deal with our sin. He wasn't interested to present more knowledge to us. Israel had all kind of knowledge. 
more knowledge than many other nations around them when it came to about concerning God. They had knowledge. You could almost say Israel had no excuse to be in the sin that they were in. And that's what we could say about Christians today. They really had no excuse to be what? In the sin that they're in today. And that's why God says he winks at ignorance (laughs) because the knowledge is here. And the word there, demonstrate, is to show, to present, to introduce. Not knowledge, but his love for us. His love for us. Because it's that love that prompted him to action. It's love. Knowledge by itself will not bring about action. But love brings about the action, not knowledge. Go to John 21. St. John 21. Look at verse 17. And Peter has asked a couple of times, and you know the passage pretty well. Now, when you get into verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 15, he's talking to Simon Peter. I want you to really hear what Peter says. He says in that last part, Yes, Lord, he said, you know. You know that I love you. God knows where your heart is. You know the problem? We don't know. Hear what Scripture says in Matthew. Yeah, they say with their mouth they love me, but their heart is where? Far from me. The mouth can be saying one thing while I'm living another way. And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. But that's not the issue. I know how much you love me. I know the degree of your love. But I want more. I want more. The problem is, you don't know your own heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked, and who can know it but God? That excludes you too. You don't really know your own heart. And he says, Lord, you know. Yes, God knows. The problem is, Peter don't know. You get down to verse 17 because he's asked three times. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Now, he didn't ask him about knowledge, how much he knew about him. The question is, do you love me? Do you love me? Now, listen to what he says. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus replied, if you sense, if you really love me, do this. Feed my sheep. It's the love that you have for me that's going to prompt you to take care of my sheep. It's the love that you have for me that's going to cause you to feed my sheep. It's not the knowledge. It's the love. It's the love. Let's illustrate this a little bit. Parents do not oftentimes respond to their children out of knowledge. Because they know that child been bad. They know that child, oh boy, I, I, I just. But we respond and we help out of what? Out of love. Not out of the knowledge we have of our children. But out of the love we have for them. 
Because some of them we even know. Oh, he's going to get me again. Oh, if I give him this, if I do this, oh, I'm going to be sorry later. But it's the love that moves us to do it. Not the knowledge we have of him. And he says, Peter, feed my sheep. If you really love me, feed my sheep. Last verse here, John 14, 21. And this is the test to it all. It's not about your knowledge, because knowledge will never prompt you to do anything. It's the love of it. It's not the knowledge that causes one to play the keyboard. It's not the knowledge that causes one to play the guitar. It's not the knowledge that allows one to play a saxophone. not the knowledge of knowing how to beat the drums. The thing that really perfects that is the love of it. That I do it. That I do it. It's the love of it. So in verse 21 of chapter 14, the Lord Jesus sums it up this way. Whoever has my commandments, that's knowledge now, and obeys them, and obeys them, because now you got a choice if you're going to what? You can have the knowledge of it, but that don't mean you're going to what? Obey it. You can be taught about it. That don't mean you're going to do it. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who what? Loves me. He's the one who loves me. Because it's our love that put God's word into action. It's our love for the Lord that causes our doing to take place. It's our love, not our knowledge. It's our love for him. And he says, who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. The love relationship. But the love relationship comes out of the knowledge But love surpasses the knowledge because knowledge in and of itself does not take me into a deep relationship. It's the love that takes me into a deep relationship with someone. Not the knowledge, but the love. But I got to have the knowledge that gives me the understanding of why I really love this person. Catch it? Are we on the same page? So a person can gather all kind of knowledge about God, but never be a doer for God because they don't have the heart and the love for God. But when you have the heart for God, you can have little knowledge But you're starting, and that knowledge is going to grow and grow. And as that knowledge grows, your love grows for him. Because it's building a relationship between you and him. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for your word. And we want to praise you, O God that you do reveal yourself to us who desires to really know you and desire to walk with you and to build our lives upon the foundations of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you, O God, that you really do give us wisdom that we might apply your knowledge correctly to everyday life. We want you to be more involved in our life. Would you continue to educate us? Would you continue, oh God, to give us understanding of your word? 
that we might fall deeper in love with you because we understand what you have done for each and every one of us. That we'll understand the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we'll understand much more deeper of what it was that he gave his life, that we might have life. That who were sinners, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, in everyday life to demonstrate our love for you. That is our greater witness. I thank you that we can tell people about you with our mouth. We can let them know how much we love you. But what people will look at And what people will really acknowledge is how we live. Do we live as godly men? Do we live as godly women? Do we live as a godly couple? Do we live honoring the Lord Jesus Christ? Let us not just stir up knowledge just for the sake of having knowledge but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. But, oh God, may we be what James says. We're a hearer of your word. We understand your word. We have the knowledge of your word. And then, Lord, because of our love for you, we become doers of your word. Would you excite us about your word? If we haven't experienced the joy of your word for a while in our lives, would you, oh God, reintroduce us to the joy of your word? Would you introduce us again, Lord, to the wisdom of your word? Would you introduce us, oh God, once again to the weeping over your word? Because, Lord, we understand You did this specifically for me. You did what you did especially for me, an unworthy soul, an unworthy person, that you would die for me while I was yet using your name in vain, that you would die for me while I was doing everything in life against your word. You demonstrated your love for me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me more understanding that I might love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.